Welcome to Trying Days the Journey, conversations with publisher Chris Milligan. I am Bruce DeTorres. With us are Barry Backrack, attorney, and Daniel Hopsicker, author, investigative reporter, and filmmaker, to discuss Expendable Elite, One Soldier's Journey into Covert Warfare by Colonel Daniel Marvin, the true story of a Special Forces officer in Vietnam in the 1960s, which exposes how covert operations are developed and often masked to permit and even sponsor assassination, the purposeful killing of innocents, and the illegal use of force. Gentlemen, it's great to be with you all. You bet. Thanks, guys, very much Thank for you. coming on. I was uh, sitting up here in my office uh, after I did uh, Anthony Sutton's book, America's Secret Establishment, and started trying day and thinking, well, I got to do other books, right? And so somebody told me about uh, Colonel Dan, and we got in touch with each other and found out that his book had been to 107 publishers before it got to me. And the lucky thing was because my dad had been in Vietnam in 1956, I had been studying early parts of the Vietnam War. So I knew about the Wa House, you know, I mean, a militant Buddhist sect that uh, Colonel Dan was working with. So I knew this, I knew about the story. And I said, Colonel Dan, let's do it. And say, well, okay. And I, I'm thinking, you know, I'm doing these books about uh, Skull and Bones where I was thinking this was a tame little book about Vietnam. And so we, we publish it. And no sooner than we did that the Special Forces Association uh, decided that I had to declare and Colonel Dan had declared his book to be uh, fiction, which uh, we didn't want to do. And that led us to, uh, well, actually, Daniel Hopsicker led us to Barry because Daniel was getting sued. And so he needed a lawyer. Barry and the boys was when I first met Daniel. And then I think it was right around that time uh, I was introduced Colonel Marvin and, and Chris. And I, I jumped at the opportunity. One thing we need to talk about at some point for someone like there is Colonel Dan as a human being and what he really meant. I mean, he meant so, a lot to me as I was doing that. So top of the morning. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you could call it. Pray, praise the Lord and pass the ammunition. Colonel Dan had been an assassin. I mean, you know, he's the only person that I know that's a lieutenant was a lieutenant colonel that didn't graduate from high school. And that was because he was a Chicago gang kid and he got himself in trouble and they said, hey, son, you wanna to go to uh, jail or do you wanna join the, join the army? And so uh, he, was, he was an assassin and, and it, this was a, a point in time when, quote unquote, we didn't kill people. Now we know that there's a piece of paper with people's names on it in the top drawer of the president's desk, you know, but at that point in time, and that was a big part of the suit was that in the book, he had talked about he had been given a, a job to assassinate Sihanouk. And uh, the CIA came back and says, oh, no, we, we never did that. I mean, it was, it was quite absurd. Now, you, got, you were closer to Colonel Dan than I was because he was living near you, Barry. Yes, he, he was very uh, involved in the lawsuit. Um, I can't tell over the years now how many times he was down at my home. I, I never had the pleasure of meeting him up at his home. He was always down here. I just found him to be a wonderful man. And he, he just, 
You can tell he's telling the truth by the way it's told. And one of the things that motivated Colonel Dan was he was reborn. That was a very important aspect of his life. When he became reborn, he felt the desire and want to, to get out what he knew and what was kept inside of him and what was supposed to be kept inside of him and ignored by the public. And, and Colonel Dan just felt that, you know, I got to get the truth out. I mean, he just told it like it was, acted like it was, uh, became a supporter of Leonard Peltier. I think, I mean, I think it's important to understand Colonel Dan as a man and then go back and read his book and read the book in that context so that you get a better idea of what you're reading and who you're reading about and why this is, you know, why this is believable. Now, yeah, he was a very upstanding person and he was, he was very proud of his service. He was very proud of his country and, you know, and he was proud of, of that he was telling the, telling the truth. You know, I, I remember I came up for a week. I, yeah. To attend the trial with you. I, I, he won, right? In, in trial, too, because there's always that interesting story. This trial started, there was a kickstart to it and then a burp. The trial initially started back, uh, I can't remember which year, but we had the trial. We were fully prepped. They seemed to feel like on top of the world. And then we started putting on their witnesses, and they didn't seem either prepared or something, but, uh, but where the witnesses admitting that what Colonel Dan said in the book was true. They had to admit that because they were on tape saying it. And we were just getting this out and out. And by lunchtime, it appeared that it gave the other attorney uh, some heart pain. And I don't, well, I don't disagree. It would cause me a lot of indigestion. And they came back and uh, the, that case got the, the case at that point got stopped. And we had to start over. The, the court declared a mistrial because uh, the guy said he ended up in the hospital and he was there uh, because of a potential heart attack. And But you had to be there, I think, to, to get the flavor of how phony it looked. We were just ready to put Big John on the stand and we we're coming back from uh, lunch. And that what was going to happen was Big John was going to go on the stand and everybody was looking to see if John was going to refute what was on his uh, tape, you know, say he was, oh, he was just drunk and, and making it up. But we didn't even get there because the uh, uh, the main attorney didn't didn't ever walk in the door. And so then they said, oh, well, he's in the he's in the hospital. And, you know, we got to declare a mistrial. And the guy was in the hospital and, and uh, there was a reporter who talked to him later. And, and we've got an afterword in the book. And it was it was a complete sham. Uh, the Special Forces Association had shut uh, news down before. I mean, they'd shut down uh, the uh, Yellow Rain story out of out of Laos about how we were using um, chemical uh, warfare there. What happened then was the the head of the uh, Special Forces Association got a hold of uh, Kissinger, and and Kissinger called the head of CNN, and and the president of CNN went out and said. Oh, these reporters, they don't know what they're doing. That was a bad story and blah, blah, blah. But what most people don't know is that the producer and the talent sued CNN and won a judgment and still stand by the story today. 
I've never seen the Special Forces Association in the Constitution <laughs> saying, okay, well, this is what is news and this is what isn't news, you know? And so, you know, the uh, attorney for the other side kept, kept saying, well, you know, the CIA officer is coming into court. He's coming into court. He's coming into court, you know, and he, he never did. We got a unanimous verdict from the jury. That was a, uh, a stipulated thing. And after the trial, the, the people came in and, and the bailiff or whoever guy came in carrying all their books. And, and Colonel Dan was just crestfallen. He was saying, oh, they, they don't want to keep the books. And it wasn't that they didn't want to keep them. They wanted Colonel Dan to sign them. Uh, you were talking about um, Colonel Dan was proud of what he did, OK? None of us, the only thing we could be proud of was, was protesting against what was being done. And, and that's been going on for like, what, 40 years, 50 years? Uh, it's, it's our lifetime in which it is no longer possible for a thinking, caring human being to be 100% behind, behind his government. Um, and, and that's unfortunate. My, my daddy talking to me, you know, he was talking to me because he wasn't proud of what was going on with his government, okay? Because he, he, he was there in 56 in Vietnam and he, he was with Lansdale when he was setting up you know, sending sending the drugs here to uh, uh, create the big uh, drug thing and everything. So it's only through people like Colonel Dan and people who are willing to tell us what really is happening and the courage they have to do that, that sheds light on people. But the sadness of it all is the, the you know, the generations and multiple people around us are not are not thinking the same way and they're falling into that trap and they're buying into all the propaganda that's going on and, and you know the psychological warfare is flying very very thick very very thick daniel what is it about florida you know is, is it the water it's it's exactly what i've been what i'm i'm just finishing that chapter okay between venice in the south sarasota and st petersburg were all airfields where they trained the flying tigers, Claire Chennault's flying tigers. Okay, and and as you well know, that was when then the when the U.S. military, you know, jumped into the heroin business, and it's been going on, you know, since. I mean, the first reference, the first reference to a big drug bust at the Venice airport, I was able to find was 1934. Yeah, yeah. So my father was in the flying tigers. You're kidding. No, I'm not kidding. And I've, and he's got a lot of information on it, but he never wanted to talk about the war. But you and I should talk about that because it would. I don't. I wonder if this stuff would have involved. He would have seen what was going on. Yeah, I just saw a clip from the movie "God Is My Co-Pilot." I mean, you know, having God as your co-pilot, you can't go wrong there, right? Right. They were totally built up by. by you know, John Wayne started a movie about the Flying Tigers. And they were they were run by Claire Chenault, General Claire. Yeah, we my, every year. If sorry to interrupt, but every year it just it, my every year they had a uh, uh, thing for the Flying Tigers that my father would go to for. And Claire Chenault, we Claire Chenault was arrested in 1914 for white slavery. What happened was Claire Chenault ran off with the wife of another man. And who she was married to was Claire Chenault's brother. He crossed state lines and he was arrested for white slavery. I mean, I mean, how, how weird is that? I've got the clips. But it was 1914. 
And, and how somebody comes back from something like that, I don't know, but he did. You know, when, when Claire died, okay, who was Anna running around with? Tommy the Cork. Yeah, I know Tommy the Cork. Okay, so having trained flying tigers in these three places, it was a lot easier, I think, to think of drug smuggling as maybe something you did because you were fighting communism. But something else went on, okay? In the early 60s, in Venice, at the Venice airport, they were testing missiles for a company called Chance Voigt, which a couple years later, after several iterations, became LTV Corporation, which is still, I guess, I guess is a big corporation in Dallas. The guy that was in charge of Chance Voigt when they were, when they were like testing missiles here in Venice was General Byrd, D.H. Byrd, who owned the Texas School Book Depository. How bizarre is that? When were they? When were they testing? Doing the testing of, in Venice. It's Fifty-nine through sixty-two. Okay, it's past my father's time, because he was down in Florida, stationed down there for you know part of his time. The other, the other thing I want to mention, that brings Sarasota into this, is that the Sarasota newspaper, the Sarasota Herald Tribune, which which were never fans of mine, um, I found out why. The newspaper was owned by a father and son team, um, David S. Lindsay, uh, a senior and junior, both of whom, both of whom were detailed during World War II to Kunming, China, which is where the um, Flying Tigers were. From everything I've read since, it is only those operatives, it, it is especially those operatives who were, were part of like the China Corps. That, that, yeah, that have been involved in, in, you know, bad things ever since. Ray Klein, Hunt, Pauly, all of them were I there. Mean, what about the World War II China Corps? Because that's the core my father was in. That's the core. That's that's when they started moving heroin. He well, was started moving it before then. Okay. Well, we'll, have, we'll have to talk because we're, he was doing that during World War II. He was doing, flying the hump. Well, not everyone was involved, you know. Well, I'm not saying he was or wasn't. I just it's interesting. Right, and that, that's that's not the way I'd get my heroin out if I was in charge. I mean, they did other things too. Um, and, and and where did Resorts International end up? Who who ended up buying that? Donald Trump. Yeah. That's an, I have a whole chapter in my new book, Gangster Planet. All right, how to spot a CIA tell. Okay, the backstory to that is. I called a friend of mine out in Newport Beach after I was seriously into this stuff. And I said, how am I able to see, to see, uh, you know, to figure this stuff out so easy? I mean, I'm a smart guy, but I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer. Why is it so easy for me to figure this stuff out? And what he said to me was, because they don't bother to hide it. <laughs> they, they don't. don't. They, they don't. don't. <laughs> they don't bother to hide it. I mean, look at the Kennedy assassination. It's yeah. The, how ignorant do they think? They thought we were pretty ignorant. <laughs> oh, there, there's, there's a lot of uh, rabbit trails uh, around. The, there's a lot of mud around the Kennedy assassination. Let me tell you, there's a lot of mud. Um, and they, they didn't always walk away clean either. Um, I, I've just finished reading a book by a guy named Scott Anderson called The Quiet Americans, which is about four OSS slash CIA guys, including major guys like Frank Wisner, who was like you know, second in command, who who became so d disillusioned that that um, Wisner killed himself. I don't know what, what what how the other guys end up, but 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 
you know, if, if you were a committed anti-communist and you saw what, what you were being forced to do, it just got it just got harder and harder to keep thinking of yourself as one of the good guys. Yeah, yeah, that's where my dad found himself. Let's let's say some last words about Colonel Dan. Yeah, it does. Uh, it does take a brave man to tell the truth because the truth usually invites uh, a lot of negative attack. I have a special forces anecdote. When I was shooting a, a two-hour documentary in Louisiana about Barry Seal, I started getting death threats from remnants of the Marcello organization. And I called my big dog CIA friend in Newport Beach, and he uh, recommended a bodyguard, a guy who did um, movie star, rock star security, 1000 bucks a day. He said he'd go, he'd go with me for expenses, and I said, why? And he said, well, if we have a few drinks on the way back, I'll, maybe I'll tell you. Turns out he knew Barry Seal. Turns out all these guys know each other, okay? He was special forces. He knew Barry Seal. And he was a good guy. Colonel Nick, I called him in Barry and the Boys. He called me a couple years later. I'll try to make this quick. He called me a couple of years later and he said, he asked me if I would go to the Caribbean with him, uh, to the St. Kitts and Nevis. And I said, well, how come? And he said, well, because you know, you're a documentary filmmaker. That's like perfect cover. Why, 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 why do you need cover? He had been in, he had been retained by a very famous family in Western Pennsylvania, whose son and daughter-in-law had been arrested in, in, in St. Kitts and Nippus uh, uh, for killing a guy who was crewing on their boat, who happened to be having an affair with his wife. Um, he was he was set to be convicted, and so the family got in touch with my friend, Colonel Nick, and what they wanted to do was have him bust them out of jail. He, he, he figured out he could do it three different ways. Uh, the, the first way was just easy, just spread some money around, you know, go in, pick the guy up, you're gone. The second way is um, you spread some money around, but somebody doesn't take it, and, and you have a little bit of difficulty. And the third way, the way he was advocating, he called Whole Island. He said with 50 guys, he could go in at midnight and be in charge of the island by 6 a.m. and have deposed the, uh, uh, the prime minister and, and put his number two man, and no one would even know. So, you know, in terms of special forces, you know, it, it's a, when you, when you go that way, you know, you go that way. Think of Chip Tatum. Colonel Dan stood to his principles and was doing the right thing. I really encourage anyone who hasn't read the book to read it. It's fascinating. Truth becomes very uh, important when you're in the, uh, the witness chair there in federal district court. And it, and it really came home to me how, how nice it was to be able to just uh, tell the truth rather than try and remember some uh, silly story. All we can do is what we can do because we feel better that way. Yeah. I yeah. want to thank you guys very much for coming on and <laughs> onwards. <laughs>